phone call or even a letter saying that you're her. Because I know her so well. So do we know him well enough that when this person comes to uh, present himself in the temple of God as God, we quickly uh, dispense with him. But I tell you, it won't be that way for thousands, if not millions of people. There will be a deception, which we'll learn about next week, a, a deception, a delusion that will cause people to follow and worship this figure. This figure will be presented with powers and wonders and signs, all from the power of Satan himself. Okay? Revelation 13 talks a little bit about this. Revelation 13, 1 through 8, I saw a beast rising out of the sea with ten horns and seven heads, with ten diadems on its horns, and blasphemous names on its heads. And the beast that I saw was like a leopard. Its feet were like a bear's. Its mouth was like a lion's mouth. And to it the dragon, which you should always interpret as Satan, gave his power and his throne and great authority. If you take verse 2 in Revelation 13 and, and read Daniel, you'll see these, these four figures in Daniel uh, are akin to this beast in the fact that this beast has all those characteristics. So I would interpret that as, as all of the evil from all of the nations is put into this one figure. One of its heads seemed to have a mortal wound, but its mortal wound was healed, and the whole earth marveled as they followed the beast. So there's a great, it's almost like a resurrection type of sign that this beast uh, displays. They worshipped the dragon, for he had given his authority to the beast, and they worshipped the beast, saying, Who is like the beast, and who can fight against it? Do, do you see the counterfeit that Satan is setting up? So he's the first beast in Revelation 12, and then this second beast is given his power, and so they're worshipping uh, Satan and the one he's given power to, almost like we do the Father and the Son. The beast was given a mouth uttering haughty and blasphemous words, and it was allowed to exercise authority for 42 months. It opened its mouth to utter blasphemies against God, blaspheming his name and his dwelling, that is, those who dwell in heaven. Also, it was allowed to make war on the saints and to conquer them, and authority was given it over every tribe and people and language and nation, and all who dwell on earth will worship it. Everyone whose name has not been written before the foundation of the world, in the book of life of the Lamb who was slain. So, God's people will not worship this beast, but those who dwell on earth will worship it. He will receive worship as like he is God, and the second beast will receive the same worship. It'll be a counterfeit trinity so to speak. And we would be able to quickly recognize that as we know him. Um, secondly, verse 5, do you not remember that when I was still with you I told you about these things? Just go back to 1 Thessalonians. Paul told them 
about this. Paul gave them knowledge. Paul gave them insight into these things that you and I don't have. The Thessalonians know something about these events that you and I are not privy to. Why that is, I don't know. Probably because they really don't matter to us. We're not supposed to focus on them. But as they were experiencing this great shaking of their faith, Paul strengthened them with the truth, with the word of God. And so all you have to do is go back to 1 Thessalonians and you can see what Paul's talking about there in verse 5. Every single chapter in 1 Thessalonians mentions or talks about or explains the second coming of Christ. He dealt with this at length when he was with them and immediately after he left them and wrote to them in 1 Thessalonians, he dealt with it again. So they are well equipped in these things, more than you and I will ever be. And yet, listen what's happening to them. They're being shaken. And the lesson is, why are we so quickly forgetting the truth? What is it about us that so quickly forgets the word of God? When something else comes up, or some false truth is uttered to us, or some charismatic idea or something is is uttered to us, we quickly disregard the word of God because we think, oh, that sounds that sounds kind of good. Or that sounds that sounds interesting. Think about it like that. Well, you put that through the filter of the word of God and then see what comes out. Paul told them to do that in 1 Thessalonians 5. To test these things. So they know, they know more than we will, that we, than we do. And then here's where it gets a little confusing. You go to verse 6. You know what is restraining him now, so that he may be revealed in his time. So third point, he has not come yet, but is being restrained. Revelation 20, 1 through 6 Then I saw an angel coming down from heaven, holding in his hand the key to the bottomless pit and a great chain. And he seized the dragon, that ancient serpent who is the devil and Satan, and bound him for a thousand years, and threw him into the pit and shut it and sealed it over, so that he might not deceive the nations any longer, until the thousand years were ended. After that, he must be released for a little while. Then I saw thrones... And seated on them were those to whom the authority to judge was committed. Also I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded for the testimony of Jesus and for the word of God. And those who had not worshipped the beast or its image and had not received its mark on their foreheads or their hands. They came to life and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. The rest of the dead did not come to life until the thousand years were ended. This is the first resurrection. Blessed is the Holy One who shares in this first resurrection... Over such, the second death has no power, but they will be priests of God in Christ, and they will reign with him a thousand years. So, even Revelation talks about this restraining that is happening to Satan. That restraining has different interpretations. Does that mean he is completely restrained? Or does that mean he is only restrained so much that the gospel is continued to go, 
unhindered throughout the world, which one is it? Well, I have a view today that might change tomorrow. That's the way this stuff works. And we use the Bible to interpret these things. So we know that even though there's a restraining, you know, if if you read Pilgrim's Progress, there's a point in Pilgrim's Progress where Christian walks by the porter's house, I believe. And next to the porter's house or bridge, or I can't remember which it is, house, path, porter's path, there, yeah, and there's two lions that are chained outside of this. And, and they're, they're on this chain to where they can't fully reach Christian, but they can growl, all right, and they can make their noises, they can roar, but they can't reach him. Well, that's the kind of restraining I think we're talking about now. That, that he's on this leash of our sovereign Lord to only go so far as God is willing in his sovereignty to allow him to go. And at some point, there's going to be a a releasing of that chain for Satan to do what he has desired at all times to do, to bring utter destruction and deception to the nations. That will be that time of rebellion, that time when he is ruling, that time that signals Jesus is soon to return. Now, that is still under the sovereign plan of God, as we'll see next week. God is sending a strong delusion to those people who have rejected the truth and are following uh, the beast that are giving in to this deception But God's people won't. They will reign with Christ over these things. We're not to fear them. He's the one that conquers. So when you look at verse 6, he tells them that they know what's restraining him right now. We don't get to hear that. We don't necessarily know. We can speculate. Is it Just God who's restraining him? The Holy Spirit? Is it Michael, who is often spoken about battling with the evil forces, the one who threw Satan from the heavenlies in the first place? Or there's there's even um, work done that, that shows it could be Satan's power restraining him until there's a, a time of his revealing. I don't think that one's holds much water, but I understand some of their perspectives, and there's all these different perspectives, and so we work with them all through the lens of Scripture. Whatever the case may be, he is restrained. He is not accomplishing all that he wants to accomplish. And they know why and how that is. And there's a time appointed by God for the revelation of his evil. But we know, verse 7, the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Lawlessness is already at work. 1 Peter 5, 8, 
Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. All all the aspects of lawlessness and, and all the aspects, characteristics that he will display when he comes, we're already seeing them. We're already tasting them. They're, they're, they're so evident, right? And a lot of times we get overwhelmed and think, man, this is just, this is just taking over. Lawlessness is just everywhere. It's even being legislated as law. Well, we haven't seen anything yet. But you are to be sober-minded. Somehow, he is prowling around, Peter tells those that are scattered. He's seeking someone to devour. You know what that means? He's, he's seeking to pick off one of the sheep that has wandered from the fold. He wants, he wants to devour God's people. If you go to 2 Corinthians 4.4, 4, you see that his efforts at all times are to blind the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the glory of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's what he's doing. It's what he wants to do. And when he's released, that is what he will uh, uh, expend all of his strength and resources to do. He can do that to an extent at this point in time. But the church prevails. Nothing can come against it because God has restrained things from coming against it. But he's working. He's he's stretching the leash as far as he can. There is no slack on it. There's constant tension on that chain. And one day God's going to let it go. Revelation 12, 7 through 17. Now war arose in heaven, Michael and his angels fighting against the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought back, but he was defeated, and there was no longer any place for them in heaven. And the great dragon was thrown down, the ancient serpent who was called the devil and Satan, the deceiver of the whole world. He was thrown down to the earth, and his angels were thrown down with him. And I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come. For the accuser of our brothers has been thrown down, who accuses them day and night before our God. And they conquered him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony, for they loved not their lives even unto death. Therefore, rejoice, O heavens and you who dwell in them. But woe to you, O earth and sea, for the devil has come down to you in great wrath. Because he knows that his time is short. And when the dragon saw that he'd been thrown down to the earth, he pursued the woman who had given birth to the male child. But the woman was given the two wings of the great eagle so that she might fly from the serpent into the wilderness, to the place where she is to be nourished for a time and times and half a time. The serpent poured water like a river out of his mouth after the woman to sweep her away with a flood. But the earth came to the help of the woman And the earth opened its mouth and swallowed the river that the dragon had poured from his mouth. Then the dragon became furious with the woman and went off to make war on the rest of her offspring, on those who keep the commandments of God and hold to the testimony of Jesus. And he stood on the sand by the sea. 
Now, my interpretation of that passage in Revelation 12 makes me to think that Satan was thrown down by Michael before the Garden of Eden. And that he pursued, right, as we read in Genesis 3, he pursued that offspring, which we know from Galatians is singular, talking about Jesus. He pursued those efforts of God to save humanity, and he was crushed, and he's ticked off. And so he seeks to continue to make war on all of the offspring, plural. And those offspring are who? Those who keep the commandments of God and hold to the testimony of Jesus. But we read earlier how those people have already overcome him. By the blood of the Lamb. By the what? Word of his testimony. So that what appears to be victory from, by evil in martyrdom will prove to be victory by the grace of God in Jesus for those people who are intimately and eternally tied to him by the word that has come to us, the gospel. So that Romans 8 um, uh, spells itself out in these things, and it tells us you're more than conquerors through who? Him who loved us. Nothing can separate you. That includes anything that this ticked-off dragon seeks to do, and maybe even allowed to do. There is... There is nothing that comes between you and the Lord. If you're one of those that keeps his commandments and holds the testimony of Jesus. But he's trying. He tries. He works. John Stott writes this about uh, the man of lawlessness and his work. Satan's work. His anti-social, anti-law, anti-God movement is at present largely underground. We detect its subversive influence around us today in the atheistic stance of secular humanism, in the totalitarian tendencies of extreme left-wing and right-wing ideologies, in the materialism of our consumer society which puts things in the place of God, in those so-called theologies which proclaim the death of God and the end of moral absolutes, and in the social permissiveness which cheapens the sanctity of human life, sex, marriage, and family, all of which God created or instituted. Basically, he's opposing everything good from God. Everything in its purest form, everything in its holiness, he opposes. You know, one of my favorite sermons of all time was delivered by John Piper on John 15. And, and, he's, and he's encouraging people in that sermon to memorize scripture because Satan is working and opposed to you and to your family and to God. And if you don't have a sword with you, then how are you going to defeat him? You won't. One commentator talks about his work this way. Knowing that this lawlessness is at work, believers must not merely look to the future day of trouble, but also watch for its precursors now 
and stand God over the precious things, stand guard over the precious things of God. This was Paul's concern. So he urged his readers not to be taken in by false teachers. If we respond to his end times teaching by exclaiming, I am so glad not to live in the times of the Antichrist, we failed to heed the warning of the mystery of lawlessness already at work. If we do not guard our speech, watch our hearts, and live in careful obedience to Scripture, we may well feel the sting of Satan's bite and suffer great loss to our churches, our families, and our work because of our carelessness and complacency. If somebody were to ask me, what plagues the church today? It would be those two things, carelessness and complacency. We don't seem to care that there is a spiritual battle that rages in which there is somebody who opposes God and all of his things and all of his people at all times. He has more energy than you. He has more resources than you. He has more knowledge than you. So you are to stand guard. You are to realize that this faith that we live is real. That Jesus is really returning. That there is real opposition every single second of the day. And that you always always have great need of him. Otherwise, you will crumble and you will fall. Despite whatever materialistic wealth or prominence you have, only the power of God can stand against the schemes of the evil one. Therefore, you always have need of God. Um, second half of verse 7, only he who now restrains it will do so until he's out of the way. That's a really confusing sentence structure. Verse 7, the second half of verse 7 is really hard to interpret. Because first of all, we're not completely sure uh, who is the one restraining it. I would guess it's God. But is there something specific at work there? Like I said, is it Michael for some reason who's in charge of this work of restraining the evil one or something until, until Michael is asked to get out of the way, to let it go. This is all speculation. It doesn't really matter. What matters is the fact that the restraining is going to be removed. And then, verse 8, the lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord Jesus will kill with the breath of his mouth and bring to nothing. So, we talk about all this and all this evil, but understand, verse 8, when he's revealed, Jesus is coming to kill him. And notice how he kills him with the breath of his mouth. This, okay, if we want to talk about the importance of the word, here it is, right? The word of God, him speaking things, is, is the power that he exercises. He speaks from a place of complete, eternal truth, holiness, and righteousness. An absolute power. Sovereign power. 
and when he speaks, all of those things are in those words, in that logos. Isaiah eleven four. But with righteousness he shall judge the poor, and decide with equity for the meek of the earth, and he shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth. And with the breath of his lips he shall kill the wicked. Jesus gave you a glimpse of this when he was on earth. He could raise the dead and heal the sick just from a declaration. Go, be at peace. It's done for you. He declared it. Which is really important when we teach our kids about how creation took place. It took place by the power of God speaking. And unless the word of God became incarnate, we wouldn't be able to see in a visible nature, and we wouldn't have a human uh, atonement for our human sins unless the Word was working, speaking, moving, exercising all that power, all that authority of God on earth. <clears throat> Revelation nineteen fifteen. From his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God the Almighty. Revelation 19.21, The rest were slain by the, word, by the sword that came from the mouth of him who was sitting on the horse, and all the birds were gorged with their flesh. The word of God overcomes the evil one. You have the word of God. Therefore, you can overcome the evil one. Something we don't often realize is that as believers, as those who have been born again to a new and living hope, as those who are new creations in Christ, we have, we have the sword that comes from the mouth of God to destroy these enemies. We have the promises. We have the precepts. We have the truth. It's there at your disposal. If you want to kill sin... Know the word. And it'll die. If you want to flee from Satan, take a note out of Jesus' book. Know scripture. Know him. Know what he said. Lastly, I want to note that we have hope. That the law is going to be revealed. Jesus is going to kill him and bring to nothing by the appearance of his coming. He's coming. That's what we need to know about the second coming. He's coming. Period. That's great. Do you pray for that? Do you want that? That is a great question to ask yourself. Are you excited? Do you want his return? You may hurt for those who are still yet to believe, but do you want him to come? Knowing that his good will will be worked out despite those who have rejected. He's coming. And in his coming, he's Promised what? To take us to where he is. He's prepared a place. We can read 
<coughs> at the end of the book of Revelation, we can see that, that uh, he's coming, uh, new heavens, new earth, new Jerusalem, a new, a new dwelling place where God is, has made his residence with man. That's, that's coming, uh, not, not even a restoration of the Garden of Eden, Eden, but a whole new thing that Jesus is building is coming. He's going to wipe every tear from every eye. He, he's he's going to resurrect us to eternal life. He's going he's to cause relationships that are deeper and more intimate even than marriage. He's, he's, he's going to have to wipe out the sun and the moon and the stars and will replace light with his glory. He, we will see this throne that is, that is surrounded by this sea of glass. And, and in other words, there will be perfect peace. The, the lion will lay with the lamb. The, there will be no division. There will be no strife. There will be no harm. There will be no death. There will only be perfection. Can you comprehend that? No, you can't. So your hope has no bounds. It's, it's limitless. You can't fathom how great of a reality that is going to be. And the fact that you're going to be left standing in what's called the congregation of the righteous from Psalm 1 that Jerry was reading, you're going to be left standing in the congregation of the righteous as he brings the evil one to nothing? We're nothing. We were evil. We were rebels. As such were some of you, homosexuals, idolaters, drunks, murderers, liars. And then somehow you're left standing. He's to be forever praised for his grace and mercy. As we see that scene in Revelation 4 and 5. Day and night, those heavenly creatures and those elders are even now worshiping God and the Lord Jesus Christ for what? His great mercy and grace. And, and so, do we celebrate in victory that we get to watch the evil one go down? I mean, we're going to have an end here of... of our flesh, which causes, causes us a nut trouble. But we're also going to get witness the end of those external things that cause us trouble. The influence of the evil one. The man of lawlessness. That barking dog on that chain. We're going to see him go down in flames. And I ain't going to take credit for doing it. We're, we're going to know who did that. And he's going to be worshipped. 2 Thessalonians 2.8, when we talk about having hope here at the end. The lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord Jesus will kill with the breath of his mouth, to bring to nothing by the appearance of his coming. Revelation 22.20, the last prayer or structure of prayer that we hear at the end of our Bibles, at the close of the canon of Scripture. He who testifies to these things says, Surely I am coming soon. Amen. John replies, Come, Lord Jesus. 
because we know rebellion and the man of lawlessness and destruction is coming. It's happening now. The mystery of lawlessness is being uh, worked out. It's, it's working, but there's more an intense level that's coming. So what's going to conquer that? If we haven't even seen the epitome of evil, how is that going to be overcome? By the return of our Lord Jesus. So the hope is that if you see these things coming, whatever your end times theology is, you see these things coming, you also know, God's people know, that he is soon to return and to destroy all of that. So my hope for you, my prayer for you, is that you would respond to him in hope and in faith. And that you would recognize where the glory and the grace is. And he's the one who actually holds all the power over these things. So respond to him now and then we'll stand and sing together.